0: too. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit HelloAlma.com slash Therapy30 to schedule a free consultation today. That's HelloAlma.com slash Therapy30. When you were a kid, you probably got asked this question a lot. What do you want to be when you grow up?
1: I want to be a uh, blank.
0: <laughs> what supposed to fill in what you wanted to be. Oh. <laughs>
1: Guys, I'm delirious.
0: When you were a kid, you probably got asked this question a lot What do you want to be when you grow up?
1: I wanted to be a quarterback.
0: You did? (laughs) You're too skinny. (laughs) I wanted to be a high school guidance counselor.
1: Whoa, I didn't know that.
0: But what you don't understand when you're a kid is that not everyone has the same resources to make their dreams come true. And sometimes you have to start to think outside the box. Yeah,
1: and that's what our guest today has been doing his entire life. Gary Gilliam is a former NFL player, but you'd be mistaken if you think that's all there is to know
0: about him. He's an entrepreneur an activist, and above all, a brilliant creative mind. He's joining us today to talk about his story and the people and places instrumental in making him the man he is today.
1: So stay tuned. This is In Good Faith. In all of the years of being around professional athletes, the man I'm going to introduce to you now is undoubtedly the most gregarious human being I have ever met, Gary Gilliam. He played in the NFL for five seasons with, of course, God's team, the Seattle Seahawks, and then the Devils team, the The San Francisco 49ers. He's now the founder and CEO of The Bridge, which turns old properties like schools, malls, warehouses into sustainable and self-contained eco-villages. We're going to talk more about this, of course, that provide everything from housing to commercial retail spaces to education to agriculture. Gary, I am so glad you're on In Good Faith. Welcome
2: to the show. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: We're so honored that you're here.
1: Asking you for your backstory is such an overwhelming task because your journey has taken such unique turns and twists. Um, I don't know if you can give us the Reader's Digest version. I'm clearly 43 because I said Reader's Digest
2: version. <laughs> <laughs> not, not the Cliff Notes or the... Yeah, the, not, or not, the not
0: the Wikipedia version. <laughs> yeah.
2: But, uh... <laughs> yeah. You're now born in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania which is actually the capital of Pennsylvania, it's not Philly, it's not Pittsburgh. It's right, little old <laughs> no Harrisburg, way. right there in the center. Let's
1: go. But
2: unfortunately, like the epitome of systemic oppression, if you will, when we talk about, you know, a food desert, I mean, you got to travel more than a mile to get to a grocery store. Wow. You know, there's redlining. Um, the local high school has a very low graduation rate. Their proficiency in math and reading are 6% and 7%. This is not an inspiring place to be. And unfortunately, it's been that way for a few years, a few generations, I'll say. And and it was so bad. You know, my mom, when she was growing up, her and my family would actually siphon electricity from one of the neighbors. They lived in an abandoned row home and uh, they had a kerosene here that they would put in the middle of the room just so they could all stay warm, all huddled together. My mom's the youngest of nine kids. Um, you know, I'm talking going to school in the morning, got to wipe the kerosene, soot off their nose to get there. So, so really bad, really bad to say the right. least. And uh, I didn't really realize that we were as poor as we were. Mom did a great job of of doing what she had to do to, to make it seem like we lived like everybody else or, or better, Wow. wow. but wasn't the case. Right. And, and mom, you know, was dealing with a lot on her own. One, she had a, my older brother when I think she was 18 or 19 and my older brother had cerebral palsy. Then she had me when she was like 21, 22. So our situation was so bad that it actually qualified me to go to this private boarding school called Milton Hershey School, which is a cost-free residential school. So you live there. They pay for your schooling, food, housing, everything. How old were you? I was eight years old.
0: And how far away is that from the town you grew up in?
2: Harrisburg is about 15, 20 minutes from Hershey, Pennsylvania. So not far. Um, Now, at the time of my enrollment, mom had actually taken me out of Harrisburg and we had moved down to a, a town called Chambersburg, which is about an hour and a half away from Hershey. But... I didn't know I was going there. Mom and I had went a few weeks before, like went to this clothing center and got fit for, you know, some collared shirts and some slacks. I'm like, Oh, this was like a summer camp or something. Like, am I going to be here for a week or this is cool. They provide some stuff. Right. So a few weeks later we come back and um, we go to this place called Founders Hall, which is this big white dome, very prominent. Like you can see that thing from, from miles and miles away. So we went there, checked in, and then we drove to this, literally a mansion. Like I'm coming from a row home in Harrisburg to like,
1: <laughs> to So your mind is blown at eight years old.
2: Blown. I don't, I don't even know what's going on. Right. Mom's like, Hey junior, you know, go play up on the swings. You know, I got to go in here, sign some paperwork and we'll, we'll head home. Right. So mom goes in, in there for a few minutes, she comes back out. So I hop off the swings and go run down to get in the car. she's like, no, no, keep playing. You know, I got to go back to founders hall, grab a few more things and I'll come back and I'll grab you. So I'm like, all right, cool You know whatever you know, i'm playing in the swing sandbox jungle gym doing my thing and it you know starts getting darker and darker and darker mom didn't come mom didn't come back wow, she didn't come back she left me there at this mansion right which is a student home where all the students live about 10 to 12 kids with a, a set of house parents um who act as your parents wake you up in the morning all this now i didn't know any of this was going on right and my house parent mr nagel bless his soul he comes out and he's like, Hey, Gary, you know, it's time for you to come in and shower and get ready for bed. And I'm like, Stranger danger, like, I don't know who you are. Like,
1: you have no context, no idea. None.
0: I'm sure your mom loved you so much to have to make that sacrifice, oh. but did you just feel so abandoned?
2: <sighs> yeah, definitely. Confused, abandoned. Mm-hmm. I, I, Every single night for the first two years that I was at that school, I cried myself to sleep. I was eight. The rest of the kids in my student home were in high school. And they, you know, they weren't really giving me anything to help. Like, hey, you know, you're going to be all right. I've been through this before. This is what you can do. Like, it was like, all right, bro, like, get over it. I got pushed aside, right? And that was it. I just had to try and figure out by myself why this was going on. I'm looking at a picture of my mom, confused, right? Smelling one of her perfume boxes just because I missed being home Mm. every single night. Now, I was able to see my mom, though, on the weekends right? she could come in and, and sign me out right? because she had signed me over to the school. I was literally like adopted by the school. Now, I could only see my mom during the day on Saturday, during the day on Sunday. And then I could go home for like Thanksgiving break, Christmas break, you know, stuff like that. But it was like being in college at eight years old.
0: Whoa. If you had to do it over again and you found yourself in your mom's shoes, would you make the decision that she made for you?
1: Kind of an unfair question for what it's
2: worth. <laughs> you, you know, like, you know, I say, I think I turned out okay. Yeah, <laughs> I think it turned think out amazing. <laughs> um, but like, just put myself like as a parent, you know, my daughter's two. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm thinking like over the next few years, like to just not to see her for a few days is tough, like, let alone Whoa. like to make that decision, you know, and I grasped that pretty early. Right. So the abandonment thing went away. Because I realized that every kid at that school had a situation, right? Like in order for you to go to the school, you needed to either be an orphan, foster kid. Everybody had to be below their poverty line. So, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm here for a reason. Mom put me here because she realized this is the best environment for this small seed to grow into what it needs to be. Wow. Okay, let let me take that on, right? Let me, you know, handle that. And that was once I hit about fifth grade. So I think I was about 10. Mom is, is is she had saved up some money. You know, we were no longer living in Section 8 housing. She wasn't on welfare. Like she did what she needed to do over those couple of years that I was there. And she's like, look, do you want to come home? You know, like dropping you off every day, Saturday and Sunday. Both of us are crying. She's like, do you want to mm-hmm. come home? And I'm like. No. Like, this hurts. I understand. But like, you put me here for a reason. Like Harrisburg does not have what I need. So thank you. Oh, my goodness. So how many more years are you there? I was there from eight to 18. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And fortunately, the school provided a ton of different things, though, to distract myself from being homesick. And what they actually called it is the whole child approach. And that's aside from, you know, providing those basic needs of food, shelter and water. They're going to provide all the wraparound services that a kid could ever want. Right. So football was one of the last things I actually did. I did ice hockey hockey soccer, swimming and diving, wrestling, baseball, right? And then eventually got to football. But aside from sports, I did ballet, jazz, and tap for 10 years. I learned how to play the piano and the guitar, right? I was the Phantom and Phantom of the Opera, right? I like literally immersed myself in everything this whole child approach to the school offered and it polished me up, right? I became a pretty well-rounded individual. Seen, I, have I have so,
0: so many, many questions. That I, I don't even know what to do
1: right now. <laughs>
2: First and foremost, it was founded back in 1909. And my graduating class in 2009, we were 100, like the 100th year. Like it was like Whoa. this big old thing. But back in 1909, it was founded for little white orphan boys. It was called the Hershey Industrial School for Boys. Industrial because it was like a trade school. And that holds true to this day. But we call it our career exploration pathways. And what happens is when you hit high school, you have to choose a trade. And then they actually shift your curriculum to aid that trade. All right, so I did graphic design and video production. So like I took a couple more extra art classes and marketing and some business things. But, like we have carpentry, um, drafting, health occupations, agriculture, culinary arts, business, literally everything you could think of. And you, in order for you to get your high school diploma, you have to get nationally certified in your trade. That's one requirement. Number two is you have to have above a C average. There are no Ds in the school. It goes A, B, C, F. You have to have your driver's license. And you have to pass a swimming test. Once you hit all four of those things, it qualifies you for the continuing education scholarship, which means that whatever college, university, trade school you get accepted to, the school would pay for the entire thing except for $2,000.
1: Incredible. Wow.
2: So through the 60s, black males were admitted. 70s, females were admitted. And by the time I went in late 90s, it was no longer just for orphans, but kids below the poverty line, foster kids, right? The like. So
0: is it publicly funded or privately funded?
2: So here's the kicker. I'm sitting there thinking like, this is a great school. Where are the rest of these campuses at? The campus is, I think, well over 7,000 acres. Whoa. <laughs> There's at least 200 of these mansions that these kids live in. The facilities are are phenomenal. The school actually has the second largest endowment of any educational institution, second only to Harvard. Oh, my Whoa! At $17 billion. They're the majority shareholder of Hershey Co., Hershey Foods, all that. That's the way that Milton Hershey set up the deed. So I had two questions. One, where's the rest of these campuses at, right? Where are the rest of the Milton Hershey School campuses? But then two... Where's Coca-Cola's and where's Mm. Nestle's and where's McDonald's town? Like, why aren't these corporations investing intentionally in the infrastructure of the communities that they're in? Right. Because the town of Hershey, aside from just him creating this chocolate factory and Reese's and all that for his workers to work, he then created this ecosystem around them. Right. He realized that in order for them to really be loyal to the company and be more efficient and, and really be the best that they could be, he needed to provide wraparound services Them, so we created places to work, eat, live, learn, and play. Right, Hershey Park, Hershey Gardens, Hershey Theater, Penn State Hershey Medical Center. Right, everything you want and need is right there in that town.
1: Incredible,
2: and what it has yielded to this day some of the highest property values in the state, some of the lowest cancer rates in the state, one of the highest graduation rates of a local public school in the state. Right, not a food desert, an international destination, all off the back of a Fortune 100 company. A man back in the time of Rockefeller, Carnegie, all them, but dedicated his legacy, his life, his fortune to help these underserved kids.
0: Whoa. And so he built all those things, not in an air quote company store kind of way that they would all be reciprocal back to him. It was to truly build up the community. Yeah. Wow.
1: Do you believe we wouldn't be talking to Gary Gilliam today if not for this endeavor?
2: Absolutely not. Gary would probably be, might be dead, might be locked up. Definitely wouldn't be where I'm at right now. Not at all.
0: So when it came time for you to graduate and take that next step, What did you decide and how did you decide where to go to college?
2: I did not use my scholarship for Milton Hershey. I had earned scholarships in athletics and academics, right? I had partial scholarships to go to Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Columbia, football scholarships, basketball scholarships, baseball scholarships, Ohio State, Penn State, Stanford, like all of them, right? There's
0: the whole package and then there's like 20 packages.
2: (laughs) (laughs) There's a little part of me that hates you, Gary. Do you know that?
1: There's for every man out there who just wanted to get one offer.
2: I'm six foot six, right? I was six six two sixty 260 coming out of high school. Six foot six, 303 pounds. I know. <laughs> but um, I chose to go to Penn State. It's close to home. I'd been now away from home for 10 years. Like mm-hmm. I want to go home when I can. I want mom to come see me play still. I want the family to see me play. I needed a chance to make it to the NFL. So as much as I wanted to go like, to the Harvards and the Yales of the world, you know they do yield some NFL players. It's not a ton. And then number three, though, I needed my degree to mean something, mm. you know? So, like, I could have went to, like, an Ohio State or something, but, like, you got guys talking about they didn't come to school to do school. They came to school to play football. Like, I don't, that's not the environment that I'd like to be in, right? I was raised in this this whole child approach, so I need culture like mm. that. Mm. My redshirt freshman year, so my second year in school, I was a sophomore, catching passes, doing my thing, right? Really starting to come into who I was as a college player. Um, got hurt. I tore my ACL, MCL, meniscus, part of my patella, three bone bruises because the way my knee had like hyperextended just all bad, all bad. And it was supposed to just be two surgeries, one for the MCL, meniscus, patella, let that heal up for about a month or two and then do the ACL. Now, In between those two surgeries, I developed a staph infection in my bone marrow. So now not only was my career on the line, my life was on the line. And it was bad. It was so painful. Right? I couldn't sleep. I'm trying to still go to class, get my A's, do practice, do rehab, do my workouts. Got to the point where I'm, I'm not going to class anymore. I'm late for my workouts. I'm, you know, I, I'm like, I don't feel like a mm-hmm. whole man, right? Like I don't at all. And I remember calling back to Milton Hershey School because I was like, if I stop playing football, Maybe I can still use that continuing education scholarship to further my education and finish. And I called Mrs. Ainsworth. She was the leader or the director of the religious programs at the school. Um, I was a Sunday school teacher while I was in high school. So she was like my boss, if you will. We had a great relationship. And she was also the wife of the athletic director. So she was at all of our games, right? So her and my mom were like right next to each other. She's like my second mom. So in this just deep, dark moment, you know, I call her. And as soon as she picks up the phone, I just break down crying. You know, like, why is this happening to me? Mm. I've been a man of God. I've been a whole man. I've, I've done everything that I'm supposed to do. Like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm. Like, it hurts. Like, there's, there's personal stuff going on in my family. Like, just a lot going on, right? So she let me get it out, right? And I cried it all out. And she goes, Listen, Gary. So I'm going to say one thing. So I hear you. She, but you got to remember this that God gives the hardest battles to the strongest soldiers and what you're currently going through has nothing to do with you, but it'll be a testimony for the soldiers you lead one day. So be selfless. Wow. Like you like to this day, like it, it still gives me like crazy goosebumps. Like it, it hit from who it came from and the way I was feeling in that moment, it was exactly what I needed to hear, you know? And that just, that recalibrated me. It was like, all right, G, focus on what you can control. I right, take this thing one day at a time, one play at a time. And I'm telling you, it, I needed that because I was out for two years. I missed half my college football career because of that injury.
0: But you still showed up.
2: I still showed up.
0: Contributed to the team.
2: Still showed up. A skilled sailor is not made on calm waters. Mm. Well, gee, here's your chop, right? What you going to do with it? This is the extra weight. Why did that motivate you so much? That one phone
1: call with your second mom. Why did that motivate you so much?
2: That it was beyond me. You know, and that some people may, you know, give them anxiety that they can't control it. But to me, that was like, all right, this is there is somewhere that I need to be that I need to get to. But I have to go through this to get there. Like in the weight room, you know, you want to get bigger and stronger. Well, you got to put some extra weight in the bar. It's like life. You need some resistance if you need those muscles to get on the field and play, you know. So that's how it felt, you know. And I was like, all right, this is similar to other parts of my life. All right. Let me let me lock in on it.
0: I just think it's so incredible. For you to be able to be inspired by the fact that it's beyond yourself. As a parent, as teachers, we use the inspiration of, you're going to achieve your dreams, you're going to be successful, you're going to get these things for yourself. But that you, as a whole man, were actually motivated by being an inspiration for others. I'm just amazed at Mrs. Ainsworth, yep. is that her name? Mm-hmm. At her courage to, in your low moment, right. just tell you, it's not about yourself, it's about others. <laughs> so much Which is,
1: I mean... Oftentimes, we see people like yourself, Gary, and we think, wow, NFL must be nice. Wow, big program. Wow, must be nice. But it really gets back to this 10-year-old young man who looks at his mom, who's doing the best she knows how, and she says, do you want to come home, son? And something in that 10-year-old young man says, no, mom, this is where I'm supposed to be. And I think sometimes we see the Gary Gilliam today. And we lose sight of the fact that at one point you were 10, you were 18, you were 20, and the adversities you faced. And I I can't help but go, God, I hope there's somebody out there listening right now to say, man, if Gary can do it, so can I. And I'm not trying to be cliche. I'm not trying to be cheesy, but— I just didn't know, man. I didn't know that this gregarious, handsome, and you know, I always said, my God, Gary (laughs) Gilliam, you are so handsome. But now I know. Now I know why people are just drawn to who you are. You're a world beater.
2: Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I mean it. Thank you. I'll let that sit. That, That means a lot to me. It does. Thank you.
0: So you came back from this injury. You switched your positions the last year in college, which is crazy. Unheard
2: of. Yeah, yeah. Especially going from tight end to tackle. Unheard Uh, of. (laughs) For
1: those listening, unheard of.
0: You want to play in the NFL. What happens next? You know,
2: the pursuit to the NFL is a bit harder. I didn't get invited to the combine. Ended up going undrafted. And then I chose to go to Seattle, right? I had had a lot of opportunities to go to a few different teams. I wanted to go to Seattle, though, because of, of the culture again. Had a good time in Seattle, right? We went to the Super Bowl, lost that Super Bowl, unfortunately. I caught a touchdown in the NFC Championship game. Ended up starting for a few years, and then, like you said, went you know down to the rivals down there in the Bay. <laughs> played for a few more years, but the two cities that I played in, mm. right, Seattle and San Francisco, took me back to that second question I had from Milton Hershey School: Where's the rest of these cities? Right. Why aren't these corporations investing intentionally in the infrastructure of their communities? These tech companies aren't doing it either. They're starting to, right? Google Campus, some of those things, but they increase property values and wages. So now the people that normally would live here can no longer live and work together. Lots of that going on in Seattle, San Francisco. So, so bad in San Francisco, down in, in Silicon Valley, couldn't even get to Levi Stadium. People like striking across the street. Like, whoa, this problem, that question I had is still yeah, relevant. Wow. And then to double it up, I'm yearning for athletes to go home and do something, right? Like we have platforms and social capital and actual capital to go home and do things beyond a football camp because not everybody can be us, right? Like do you want me to go home and hold the Gary Gilliam football camp and, and really push along this cultural indoctrination that a young boy can only be an athlete, a rapper, or a drug dealer to get his family out of the situation that they're in. And we as athletes are reinforcing that thought. Can we go home and do something else? So when I'm asking guys this, they're like, I'm a football player. Well, how am I going to go talk about financial literacy? I have a financial advisor. My game checks go to their account. They send me a check for my disposable income. I don't even make my own budget. They pay my bills. 88% of us Mm. are broke within a few years. You don't think that they had financial advisors? You don't think you should educate yourself a little bit? Why aren't you thinking in that way? It's not that you don't want to because you're interested in what I have to say. Well, here's a blueprint for you. I grew up in a town and a school and went to a university that provided environments for me that I think helped me get to where I'm at. Wow. So can we replicate those environments? Can we make them scalable? And hey, athlete, I can guarantee you the town that you're from needs exactly what it is that I got.
0: Mm.
2: So let's create a scalable business version of Milton Hershey, the bridge, this life's
1: work that's brought you to this point and the difference you're making.
0: Can you explain what the bridge is for someone who has never heard of it before?
2: Real estate development, first and foremost identifying a point of pain. There's lots of abandoned properties in in cities, right? Schools, malls, warehouses, land, and in most cases they're held by a municipality, a land bank. That they they don't just want a traditional developer to come in and build a bunch of affordable housing or a bunch of senior housing, right? Nothing wrong with those things, but because of how centrally located a school and a mall is, the wraparound services have an extreme impact. Right, mm. and these master planners, these comprehensive plan planners, and city council members understand that. Yep. So what do we do there? Work, eat, live, learn, play. So what what does that mean though? What is that? That's how Hershey was set up. Remember? Yep. So yep. what we do is we acquire these schools, malls, and warehouses and create ecosystems or eco-villages as we call them. That is really just a mixed-use development. It's got places to work, eat, live, learn, play, work. Entrepreneurs can come and create businesses. These are maker spaces, co-working spaces, people to come work together. Remember all those brilliant kids that got nationally certified from Hershey, Pennsylvania? A lot of them still live in Harrisburg. So imagine if we created a space where they can create businesses together. Eat, another point of pain, food deserts. There's one grocery store in the capital of Pennsylvania, one, (laughs) in the whole city limits. That's an issue. The bigger issue, though, is where the food within the food desert comes from, right? Like in in winter months, Northeast, it's cold, it's snowy. Where's the food coming from? Florida, California, overseas. Well, within just three days of you picking your food, it loses 30% of its nutritional value. Jeez. So not only do we live in a food desert, but the food within the food desert doesn't have what it needs for the community, right? So that's the EAT branch, restaurants, farming, aeroponics, hydroponics. This is where the sustainability side of the bridge comes in. We do water collection, solar panels, uh, geothermal, which is air from underground, right? All those fancy words, but really just to close the loop and grow food in a more controlled environment, meaning we can actually grow enough food, indoor aeroponics, hydroponics, meaning no soil. We can grow enough food on one third of an acre to feed 100,000 people.
0: Wow. Whoa.
2: One third of an acre, 100,000. The population of all of Harrisburg is only 50,000. So, so you just 100.
0: need a third of an yes. acre. That's why Why haven't we been farming this way
2: for years? Like I'm blown away. Like, right? What? So that's the eat branch. Live is housing, right? This is shelter. This is affordable housing and the market rate housing. And it's important for both of those to be Mm -hmm. together because I'm Mm -hmm. telling you, when I got plucked out of that row home and thrown into a mansion and into that beautiful campus, set a higher standard for myself. Mm, That's what I want to get to. This is what I want to provide for my family long term. Right. And that village mentality of humans are social beings and we do better when we are close to each other. Contrary to the current state of the world. That's right. We'll get back there. Right. So that's housing for everybody right? Senior housing, veteran housing, low-income housing, and market rate housing. Everybody can live on site because the services we provide are for everyone. And that comes through our learn branch because it's not just enough to drop a bag in the hood and think you've done something brilliant, right? If the community doesn't know how to use them, what did you really do? You can create co-working spaces and the maker spaces, but if I myself or no one in my family has ever started a business, you've done nothing for me. So, with partnerships with Harrisburg University, Penn State Harrisburg, we've created curriculums for those entrepreneurs to develop the businesses that they need so that they can now attract non predatory funds. Like Shark Tank, those are predatory funds. Like they're, they're like, yeah, I'll give you 100,000, I'll take 51% of your company. These are people who are really, you know, need the money, don't have any other resource. There is no friends and family round, there's no ability to refinance a home that's owned. Most didn't go to college. You know, so there's a lot of links between all the different points of pain that each of these sectors, right? There's a holistic system called systemic oppression that keeps a lot yeah. of people down. Right. A lot, like a lot. 99% of our society, in all honesty. God have mercy. Um, so how do we combat a system of oppression? Well, the only way to really combat a system and not just combat it, but dismantle it is with another system. That's right. So the Learn branch is our nonprofit. And that's called Empower at the Bridge Foundation. And it's all about education. And it's learn to work, learn to eat, learn to live, learn and learn to play. Play is entertainment, rock climbing, trampolines, batting cages, those things. So what we create, right, with these spaces to work, eat, live, learn and play, it creates what we call systemic empowerment, right? We create these spaces and then we teach people how to use them in a self-sufficient way. It's teaching that community how to do for themselves. Right. And that's empowerment. As of now, that's not what the system produces, right? It makes you rely on, makes you dependent on all things. Right. With all
1: that you've been through, the money you've made, the career you've built, why are you giving yourself to building a system that no doubt is going to take extraordinary effort, passion, and commitment to see it through?
2: I'll give you a real tangible answer here. So one of my degrees is in psychology, and I've kind of alluded to a little bit, right? Maslow's hierarchy of needs, yeah. mm. physiological needs, food, shelter, water, safety, security, love and belonging, self-esteem, self-actualization. Now they say that in order to get to the top part of the pyramid, the bottom needs to be taken care of, right? And I think those environments that I was in, food, shelter, water, safety, security, love, like I, I, you know, I was able to work my way up through that pyramid and get to self-actualization, right? I mean, dude, I made it to the Super Bowl. That's mm-hmm. That's about as high as you can get in your profession. Wow. I still felt empty, though. Like, empty. Like, is this this why I got hurt? To get to the Super Bowl? It doesn't feel that way. Like, there was still something inside of me that was like, is self-actualization the top of the pyramid? I don't think it is, right? So I created a new pyramid. And I added two more levels on top of self-actualization. So above self-actualization is community Actualization. Mm. If self is the desire to become the best mm. that you can be, then community actualization is the desire to help others become the best that they can be. Come on. And that felt really good. And when I studied guys like Rockefeller and Carnegie and Hershey, these people who made it to self-actualization, they all eventually gave tremendous amounts back to their communities, right? So the next level, in my opinion, what I've created in my little model is generational actualization. Wow. But it's not just enough for you to figure out how to navigate your way through an industry, society, through life, but can you make it palatable enough for the next generation to do exactly the same thing, and if not better? All right? So, one, generational actualization is about passing on your teachings, and then number two is about preserving your planet. How do we build things now cool. that will be here for a long time? How do we create systems?
0: Well, Mom. And realizing that you switched from generational poverty, hearing your grandma's story to your mom's story, and now you're improving the generations and generational blessings. Yeah. And I just think this is the most comprehensive solution I think I have heard in a very long time very to long something time. that is plaguing humanity. And we're just very inspired. But how how can we help and support and come alongside you?
2: Well, thank you. This is great, first and foremost, <laughs> right? Um, certainly, you know, donations to our nonprofit are, are phenomenal because it's not just about in Harrisburg, right? Our nonprofit exists across the nation. We go into communities uh, we do disparity studies to figure out exactly where those gaps are within each of our sectors then we again look to work with those local communities to establish those programs so the educational side of what we're doing doesn't need a physical bridge location mm. so we like to get that going before bridges there to get our community partners in identify locations with them and then craft exactly what a bridge would look like in that town investment opportunities to the bridge eco village as a development company yeah also, very, very important. You know, massive projects like that take a lot of capital. Yeah, you know, and they're public-private partnerships, meaning we apply for grants and tax credits and utilize those things, bond offerings. But the private side is also just as important. So, if you want to to contact us about any of that stuff, donations, investments, volunteering, thebridge.com, dot com. Right, hit contact and email it out, and we we'll make sure we get you to the right channels. That's really the the simplest way.
1: It's just the beginning.
0: It's just the beginning.
1: My dad used to say, my late father who passed about 11 years ago, son, I want you to always think, what do you want on your tombstone when you die? So I'm going to ask you, Gary Gilliam Jr., what do you want on your tombstone when you're gone? Gary Gilliam, the bridge builder. Wow. Wow.
0: Wow. It's beautiful. You We've crossed a
1: lot of bridges too. Yeah. Man.
0: But now you get to build them. Yeah, It's pretty phenomenal. That's the trick, right? Mm. Just little
2: small opportunities, right? It just popped in my head. So I'm going to share it. You remember, um, you know, mom dropping me off. Reminds me of like that story of Moses. Mm. That's what it is. You put, you know, let me put Moses in this river, send him off to a better life. Hopefully he'll be able to be raised and come back and let his people go.
1: That's it. And that's what you're doing.
2: Like, I think I've read somewhere, like, in your life, all you need is five yeses.
1: Mm.
2: That's it. Five. Right? So I'm like, all right. Well, I got accepted to Milton Hershey School. I made it to Penn State. Made it to the Seattle Seahawks and NFL. Hmm. it in capitalization for the bridge. What's that last yes? Mm. Wow. Hmm. I don't know. Keep going, though.
0: We're excited to watch the journey and see. And just so you know, you have have two people who are cheering you on. Whenever you're you're ready for that next um endeavor. (laughs) In good faith, one of the things we like to do at the end is just yeah. pray at the end of our podcast. We are very happy to do it, but always want to give our guests an opportunity as a Sunday school teacher. Um, would you have any desire? Right? I, didn't, right? I,
1: didn't, I didn't even know you were. We a gotta Sunday take you back teacher, to your roots. Gary Gilliam. By the way, I don't think I've ever called you Gary one time. It's always been Gary Gilliam. Because there can't be a better name than Such Gary Gilliam. That's a good
0: name. <laughs> do you have any desire to pray? Or if not, we would also love to pray for you. But yeah,
2: I've I've missed Judah. <laughs> <laughs> I hear myself talk all the time. I, I, I need some love and some pouring on. From, we would love please. to pour it
1: on. Uh, we would love to. Let's pray. Yeah. God, we thank you. Um, we thank you for life. We thank you for another day. It is not lost on Chelsea and I and Gary, how blessed we are to have a day. This is all gift and we thank you for it. God, I thank you for this extraordinary human being. On behalf of everybody listening, we thank you for Gary Mm -hmm. Gilliam Jr. We thank you for his life. We thank you for the days in which he has lived on this planet and the difference he's already making. Lord, we ask your blessing on the bridge. We ask your protection on all of those who are committing time, energy, and effort to scale and build and instill this incredible system God, we ask um, for the dismantling of all systems that are oppressive Mm -hmm. in any way, shape, and form. And we ask for the furthering rise of systems that are empowering to human beings Mm -hmm. all over the world. We ask God for more favor, opportunity, and blessing for the bridge. And God, again, we ask for your protection. Thank you so much for Gary Gilliam. Protect him. Keep him, watch over him, and exceed his wildest dreams. In your name, amen.
0: Amen. Amen. This has been a presentation of OBB Sound, SB Projects, and Cadence 13.
1: Executive produced by Chelsea Smith, Judah Smith, Michael D. Ratner, Scott Ratner, Elias Tanner, Scooter Braun, Scott Manson, James Shin, and Chris Corcoran.
0: Produced by Grace Delia and Caitlin Plummer of OBB Sound and Kyle Venuya of SB Projects.
1: Produced by Lauren LaGrasso and Serena Regan of Cadence 13.
0: Edited, mixed, and mastered by Adam Macias. Original composition by Colin Gilliard.
1: Production support from Otha White and Dylan Martyr.
0: OBB Sound is an OBB Media Company. Cadence 13 is an Odyssey Company.